You know, while I was, while we were singing, I was looking at that video of that girl that's kneeling there, and I thought, you know, it would be kind of cool if we were to get some cushions that we just kept down here up front. So if there's some times when you would just like to express your worship by coming up and kneeling and praising God, we could do that. Would that work for some of you? Would you like to have that freedom to worship God? All right, well, 12 of you will, all right? But, I, you know, I think sometimes we get stuck standing and sitting and we forget that God needs to be worshipped sometimes on our knees and praise Him. So maybe we can do that. It'd be kind of a unique way to just break out of doing things the way we always do them. Well, we're going to start our series on fear. And uh, this sign reminds me that fear can sometimes be like a big giant in our lives. It just kind of casts its shadow across our souls. Maybe you feel that shadow of fear on your soul right now. Sometimes fear seems to corral us into the shadowlands of despair and discouragement and anxiety and worry. Fear is a thief. Fear robs us of joy and steals away our peace. When I think about fear, I think of it as the big immobilizer that drains us of our confidence and sends us running and sends us hiding. In the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at fear. We're going to be calling out some major fear giants that people wrestle with. And by God's grace and God's word, we're going to learn how to defeat those giants and live in the peace that I believe the Lord wants his followers to live in. And before we call out the first fear giant this morning, what I want us to do is get a little bit of background on fear. I want to ask a couple of questions like, is there such thing as good fear? And bad fear? And if there is, where does fear come from? To start our answers to those questions, I want you to turn back in your Bibles to the very familiar book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. If you need a Bible, come and let me know, and we'll get you one, all right? But Genesis chapter 2 is where I want you to turn to. In this passage of Scripture, God has created Adam and And God puts him in the garden, and God says something very important to him. We have it here on the screen, the verse. It goes like this. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, finish it with me, you are sure to die. You are sure to die. And that is the first entrance of fear into the world. And I want to suggest to you that it was a good fear and a healthy fear. Like we have good fears and healthy fears. A healthy fear of fire will keep you from being what? A healthy fear of water will keep you from what? And a healthy fear of the law will, you know, avoid, help you avoid a fight or being arrested, right? So there's healthy fear and good fear. And God said to Adam, I put you in the garden. Everything is yours to enjoy. But there's this one tree, my tree, and it's my fruit. And I don't want you to take it. I want you to reverence, worship, and be in awe of me. I want you to respect me. Because if you defy me, Adam, there is a consequence. That consequence is death. Now notice that healthy fear always moves us towards God. Healthy fear always involves worship, respect, obedience, and awe for God. Now, some people have unhealthy fear of God. We're going to deal with that toward the end of our series. I'm talking about a healthy fear of love, respect, and awe for God. And so God says, you mind that and you'll be blessed. Now, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. 
Because in Genesis chapter 3, we have a character by the name of Satan who shows up in our true story. Satan was the highest created angel that God ever made. Like a governor in, in the uh, uh, ranks of heaven, so to speak. And uh, Satan was kicked out of heaven. He was removed from God's presence. And the reason why is because Satan refused to fear God. He refused to reverence, worship, respect, and be in awe of God. Instead, Satan wanted himself to be feared. He wanted to be the one that was reverenced, worshipped, and respected. And so God removed him from his presence. And this enemy of God shows up in the garden, and he intends on breaking up the relationship between God and his creation. Now, God has put man in the garden. God has put that specific tree in the garden. God has told man to leave it alone, and it's a test. Will man choose to obey God? Adam and Eve were fully equipped to be able to withstand the test. They were given the freedom to choose for or against. And the serpent shows up, and Satan, using that serpent, speaks to the woman and to the man, and here's what he says, beginning in Genesis 3.1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what is the basis, what is the basis of Satan's temptation toward Eve and toward Adam? It's based on not fearing God. In essence, what Satan says to the man and the woman is, don't fear God, don't worship, don't reverence, don't respect, and don't obey God. You can be God. You ought to be the one who is feared. Others ought to fear you. In fact, if you read on in the story, you'll come across a guy by the name of Lamech who kind of brags about the fact that others fear him. And so Satan says, you need to be the one who's feared. And so we watch what happens in the story. The woman takes the fruit, gives it to the man. They take what doesn't belong to theirs to them and they eat it and and here's what it says in verse 7 if i can see all right it says then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man where are you He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Now we have the introduction to what I will call unhealthy or bad fear. Good fear, healthy fear, always moves us towards God. Negative, bad fear. Unhealthy fear, listen, will always move us away from God. Which way is Adam moving now? Is he moving toward God? No. He is running what? He's running away from God. He wants to get away from God. Unhealthy fear always moves us away from God. And listen carefully. It always moves us to ourselves. It makes us self-aware. It makes us self-focused. 
Now, here's a question for you. Look at your text. What was Adam afraid of? What's he say? He tells us. Oh, my goodness. Get your Bibles open. I was afraid because I was what? You just didn't want to say that word in church, right? I was afraid because I was, say it, naked. Now, I got a problem with that because in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the man and the woman were both naked and not what? And not ashamed. Now, all of a sudden, Adam is naked and he wants desperately to cover it up. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed. Why was it he could be naked and not ashamed and now he's naked and ashamed? The answer is, I already told you, he was now totally self-aware. He's now totally self-conscious. He was not self-aware and he was not self-conscious before that. And as a result of that, what does he try to do? He tries to cover up. He didn't have a beautiful little bathrobe like I have right here. All right. He had to use fig leaves, which must have been kind of rough and difficult. All right. But you know what? He covers up. And just as Adam covered up his nakedness, you know what? Listen carefully. He wasn't covering up his physical nakedness. He was covering up something much deeper. That was his now spiritual and moral nakedness. He was aware that something was wrong inside now, that he was disconnected from God, and he wanted the best he could to cover up that weakness, to cover up that vulnerability. He didn't want to be seen. So when God came looking for him, he said, oh, I'm naked. But he was really talking not about his physical nakedness. There was something much deeper than that that all of us have. In fact, all of us are very self-aware people, aren't we? All of us are very aware and self-conscious. And we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, don't we? We don't like to admit it, but we do. And not just about our outward appearance, though we think a lot about that. We think about what's going on on the inside. And a lot of us spend a tremendous amount of time, whether you're young or old, trying to cover up what we feel is our, our, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, our frailties, our weaknesses, our sins, our faults, our wrongs. Even those of us who call ourselves Christians, who admit we're sinners and, and need Jesus Christ and have confessed our sins and seek his forgiveness. You know what's really weird about us? We show up to church, a place where we ought to be who we are without any masks on, And of all people, we tend to be the ones who cover up the most, as though we want to pretend we're not sinners. Hey, guess what? I'm a sinner this morning, and so are you. I have nothing to cover up and pretend, but it's within me to want to do that. I don't want you to see my weaknesses. I don't want you to see my vulnerabilities. Now, it's important to understand that when it comes to knowing how to deal with fear, because fear is related to that thing in us that says, i got to protect myself, i got to cover up, I don't want to be exposed. Now, with that in mind, let's call out a first fear giant. And our first fear giant this morning is the fear of commitment. Say it with me, fear of commitment. A second time, fear of commitment. There's a huge, huge issue of commitment in our culture today especially amongst the younger generation. I'm not picking on you guys, just talking about what they really struggle with, and they can look to us to blame for that. A lack of commitment, a fear of commitment, robs a marriage of intimacy, 
robs, robs a friendship of security and certainly robs our future of any sense of hope. I don't want to make anybody feel bad this morning. But I also want to speak the truth this morning, right? So I'm going to speak the truth of what's going on in our world today and I'm afraid even in Christian families and singles as well. But just think about this. How many people you know, give their life and time and effort to a company. They're loyal, they're committed to their company. But look what's going on in our economy right now, how many companies are dumping their employees. After years, that employee's commitment and sacrifice, they let them go just like that. But I tell you what, when that happens, you can shake your sense of confidence. It can shake your sense of, of commitment. It can make you scared of ever being committed again. Think about marriages today. How many of you are married? Let me see your hands. Look at all of you. You know what? What happens when you say, I do at the altar, and all of a sudden your spouse now, years or many years later, is saying, I don't? What happens when that person you thought you were going to be committed to the rest of your life is now talking about separation or divorce or ending the relationship? I mean, that can shake you. When you have been through something like that, oh, it shakes you. You wonder if you can ever trust again, if you can ever be committed again. How many of you are parents? Let me see your hands. Lots of parents here. How many of you are students? Let's say 20 and under. Let me see your hands. You're 20 and under. A lot of you here this morning. What's it like to grow up in a home where mom and dad, where mom and dad forsake that commitment to one another? The most important relationship in my life, my mom and my dad, and then they get divorced. They separate. They go opposite directions. I mean, if, you're, if you grow up in a home like that, even as a young adult, you grow up in a home like that, it shakes you to your core and you wonder, well, if they couldn't stay together, if they couldn't be committed, how, how can I ever believe that I can be committed? That that, that person I meet will, will be faithful to me. So I have so many young adults today that don't want to get married, want to live together. Afraid of commitment because what's happened to them. Many of us have looked up to leaders. Some of them have been secular leaders. Some of them spiritual leaders. Some of them pastors. Think of what's happened in the Catholic Church, priests. Even the Protestant Church. And you know what? We have a leader and we're, we esteem them and we say, man, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. And then boom, they fall and they let us down. And we thought they were committed to God and we thought they were committed to us. And, and now we wonder, will I ever be able to be committed to God? Can I... Will I ever be able to be committed to anybody? Look what happened to this person that I so highly esteemed. When you, when you commit yourself to someone, when you trust someone and they reject you, it's like being emotionally raped, isn't it? I mean, that's really what's behind the fear of commitment. It's, it's the idea that I'll be rejected. And when you get rejected by your parents, when you get rejected by your friend, when you get rejected by your spouse, when you get rejected by your company, whoever or whatever it is that rejects you, you just, you feel absolutely naked at that point. You feel exposed. You feel vulnerable. You feel weak. You wonder if it's something you did, if there's something wrong with you that you can't keep your act together. And what do you want to do? Man, you want to insulate yourself. You want to cover up. You want to protect. You want to put a hard shell on. You'll do anything in order to feel secure and not be taken advantage of. And some of you right now, you know this looks really silly up here. Somebody said, waiting for you to break out into your Rocky theme. Uh, the reality is, that's how some of us feel. Or, or that's how some of us wish we felt. All covered up and secure and protected. 
So the question becomes, how do you overcome that? How do you get to a place where you're not covering up? Where you can where you can just be at peace and be at ease. And the answer to it is so simple. Listen carefully. The way you overcome the giant, the, the, the way you overcome the fear giant of commitment is by realizing how committed God is to you. How committed God is to you. You see, I can't be secure in loving and caring for others if I'm not secure in love myself. I can't love you if I don't feel loved. I cannot love my wife, Marcia. I cannot love my children, my grandchildren, unless I know how completely loved I am by God. Because when I love others, I will always take a risk. And what is the risk I will always take? It is the risk that my love will not be received or my love will be rejected, right? But if I'm secure in my love with God, then it's a whole lot easier to deal with the rejection of others. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you. Look back at the story in Genesis. He pursued Adam, didn't he? I mean, he comes looking for him in the garden. Now, did God know where he was? Yes. God calls out, where are you? God knew where he was. What was God doing? God was giving an invitation to Adam to admit what he had done, to confess so that there could be healing and reconciliation. But you notice Adam never says he's wrong. He never says he's sorry. He only says, I was naked. He never says, God, I, 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 didn't, I didn't protect my wife. I was standing right there. I listened to her. I took the fruit. I ate it. I am guilty. I deserve whatever punishment I received. That is death. You never hear that. What does Adam do? He says, the woman you gave me made this happen. Now, folks, that's what you call extreme cover-up. That's what you call really being into yourself when you can't admit you're at fault. Because in essence, who is he blaming? Not the woman. He's blaming God because, what? He says, you gave her to me. That's how insecure we can become. And God invites us to be honest and say to him, God, I am a sinner. God, I am incomplete. God, I have blown it. So he can forgive us, so he can bring us back into a garden relationship where he can put his arms around us and love us. God pursued Adam. In fact, if you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I think the major theme of the Bible is redemption. God pursuing man. In fact, God wants us back in relationship with him so much that he actually became flesh. He sent his son and became one of us. And then he went to the cross and he died for us. So we could be reconciled to him. So we could be brought back into a relationship with him. Where once again our only true fear is that fear that says, God I reverence you, worship you, obey you and respect you. I want you in my life. I don't want that stuff. I will only fear you. Healthy, good fear. Instead of running away from you, making me the center of my own life. And having all these fears, these phobias, because it's all about me. Because I'm so insecure, because I don't have you as my base. God says, I want you. The Bible says that when we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that even though we are faithless, God is always faithful. His love is unconditional. Let me ask you a question. Are you living in that love this morning? Are you basking in that love today? Are you rejoicing in your position as a child of God today? Say, I'm not a child of God today. What are you waiting for? 
His arms are open. Just admit. Take the robe off. Just admit you need him. Just admit you're a sinner. You're broken. Let him forgive you and let him wrap his arms around you. God doesn't want to reject anyone. You can reject God, but God doesn't want to reject you. He loves you today. And I think there are a few things that we all have to do. Number one, very simple. We need to just believe in our hearts that God is committed to us. Accept that. Believe it by faith. He has demonstrated it. What more proof do you need? He sent his son to the cross to die for you. And I think you and I can claim what the Israelites claimed in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, where it says, okay, Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Finish it with me. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that beautiful? What is God? God says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm your what? I'm your God. I'm there for you. I'm your God. You don't have to be afraid. Do you believe he's your God today? Do you know him as your God today? Are you basking in that confidence that he's your God today? You need to claim that truth for yourself. You know, I don't buy into some of the TV preachers who say, you know, claim it. Believe it. Right? Just for the sake of claiming and believing it. But I do absolutely believe that there is that truth that if I do honestly believe that God loves me and God is my God, I need to claim that truth for myself. I need to say, you are my God. I'm not going to listen to those other voices in my head. You are my God. I believe it. I believe it and I claim it. And I possess it. What a liberating truth that is. Second thing, though, you've got to do is if you believe that God's committed to you and he loves you, then you've got to be committed to him. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. And he goes on to tell you what he'll do. It's all about righteousness and vindicating those who are, who are taken advantage of. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. I've got to commit myself to God. And there's a third thing you have to do, okay? Now, I don't want to offend you okay especially if you're struggling all right i take a risk doing this but hey you know love risks doesn't it third thing is if you believe god loves you if you believe that truth you're standing on that truth i belong to god and you're saying i'm committed to god then number three i need you to stop feeling sorry for yourself we gotta stop feeling sorry for ourselves folks because it poisons us it Keeps us from moving forward with God. Some of us have had a long enough pity party, right? We've been on the pity potty too long. It's time to move off. It's time to live in the truth that I am God's and, and he is mine. And my worth and my value is not going to be based on whether you love me or reject my love. My, love, my worth and value is not going to be based on whether my wife leaves me or stays with me, whether my kids like me or don't. My security, my worth, and my value is on the fact that I have a God who loves me, who will never leave me nor forsake me. Amen? That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Now I'm free. Now the only fear I have is just reverence, worship, and respect of God. The fear of ever moving away from God. I don't want to stay close to God. Back 
back in his garden. I want to be with him. Now, I want to I drill this down a little bit deeper. Because, you see, I think the other way we turn this thing around is we make up our mind. As much as depends on me and my family and our church, we are going to be committed to being committed people in a culture. In a culture and society that just laughs at commitment. That, that just is so cynical about commitment because they've seen so many commitments broken. And I think of our young people especially. I want all of us to agree this morning that we are going to be committed to being committed. Because we are the people of God. So let me see those of you who are married. Let me see your hands. I want you to stay committed in your marriage. No bailing out. Now if there's physical abuse, get out. If there's serial adultery, you need to at least separate. But I'm telling you what, there are more pitiful excuses that Christian couples use to separate and get divorced than than you would ever believe. I don't care what some Hollywood person does. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what your astrological sign is. I don't care if you listen to some rock and roll song from the 70s that said that maybe you married the wrong person and your real lover's over here. I don't care about that. You're in a relationship committed. Stay there even when it's tough. How many of you are parents? All right. You got parents. Your kids, grandparents, I've got to put myself in here. All right. Your kids and your grandkids get their commitment clues from you. They figure out what commitment is by watching you. Dad, Mom, you need to be committed to your kids. You need to be committed by staying married. You single parents, I know it's tough for you. You need to be committed to that child. And I know you are. I know you are. I know you carry a burden. But they need to watch us as single parents or as parents. They need to watch us being committed to God in our own lives. God through being in his word on a regular basis. And God by being in church. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's comfortable. Not when the weather's crummy and there's no place else to go. You have options for Pete's sake. Saturday or Sunday. But listen carefully to this. You guys like plug your ears because you're not going to want to hear this, all right? I'm going to tick a few of you off this morning, all right? But I love you, all right? But as, as they get in their adolescence, they're going to tell you how boring church can be. Now, these guys won't because they're here. The other ones who aren't here, all right? And their friends don't go. And they don't like the preaching because the guy is boring. And they don't like the youth guy because sometimes he's boring. And they don't like the music because it's not their music. And on and on and on and on. And when they say that, you as parents ought to shudder. Your knees ought to shake and you ought to say to them, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? Let's escape these problems. No. Stop. Who's driving the car? Who's leading the family? You are. And you have got to stick it out, dad and mom. You got to stick it out when they're complaining and want to quit and want to go somewhere else because they didn't like this, they didn't like that. And you're going to have to teach them we are committed in the good times and the bad times. When it's boring, when it's exciting, when it's mediocre, because our commitment ultimately is to Jesus Christ. You guys can handle that, can't you? Well, it's so bad. All right. I'm, I'm worried. Are you guys okay? All right. I'll just make sure. All right. I was scared. Anyway, um, 
Okay, you guys, anyway, we've got to be committed. See, think about this. Now, how many of you are single adults? i got to get everybody today, all right? All right, single adults, all right? Not every single adult. Some are called singles, but many, many single adults are thinking about a relationship someday, right? And there's this verse in the Bible called 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It goes like this. You guys aren't going to like me either. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, is Paul saying don't have relationships with non-believers? No, you have to in order to reach them, connect with them. But what Paul is saying, and listen carefully, single adults. Listen carefully, young people. What, God, what Paul is saying, what God is saying is in your most significant relationships... Especially as you start looking for a life partner, and that's what dating is, whether you like it or whether you think of it that way or not, you are wondering, could I spend the rest of my life with this person? In those relationships, that person needs to be a mature believer in Jesus Christ. They need to be committed to God and His Word. And you've got to commit yourself, single adults, to being committed to God's way of handling a relationship. And those of you who are single women, I know for you it's a real tension because the older you get, the biological clock starts to wind down and you get worried. Don't compromise and pay an awful price later on. Be committed to doing what is right. Now, if all of us were to get on board with this commitment, if we were to become committed to being committed, you would see a change that would begin to take place all around you in families and friendships and I believe in our culture, if a church of 3,000 could become committed day in and day out, it would have a profound effect on the people around it. See, being committed is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to be committed in relationships, in marriage, in parenting, in friendship. Relationships are a lot like driving in the wintertime in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like, I've been on some roads that amazed me. One day, they were smooth and easy to navigate. 24 hours later, there are these craters that just show up. I was driving downtown Chicago the other day, and I felt like it was a video game. I'm like this, uh, you know, trying to get there because there are potholes everywhere. And sometimes your life is going along like this, and you hit potholes, don't you? In your relationships, and what do you want to do? Man, sometimes you get a flat out of it too. You get really busted up. You want to bail. You don't. You stay committed. Why and how can you and I live committed lives? How is it that I can be committed even though my commitment may be rejected? Because I know who loves me. I know he will never, never reject me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am God. I am God's and he is mine. Wow. We just slayed a giant. The question is, will you walk out of this place this morning living and claiming that truth for yourself? Let's all stand together. Next weekend, we're going to talk about defeating the giant of loneliness. If you're a guest this morning, please come see me in the guest center. I would love to meet you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my dear friends here this morning, young or old, God, as we leave this place today, may we never fear, may we never fear commitment again. May we focus our relationship on you. May our love come from being loved by you. And God, it's risky loving people sometimes. They do hurt us. They do trash us. We have to be careful in the choices we make. And Father, when that happens, it will not shake us. It will not take us out of the game. Because ultimately, 
we belong to you. You belong to us. And we are your children. For that, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. God bless you. Enjoy your treats today.